Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you over EWTN radio and uh, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International Studios in Ohio. Thank you for joining us. Our guest today is Eben Emerson, who appeared on Monday night on the Journey Home program on EWTN. It was on that program that he was able to uh, share his journey coming into the Catholic faith. And uh, it was a pleasure to have the opportunity to interview him for the Journey Home program. Eben was born and raised in northwest Arkansas, became a member of the Church of Christ as a teenager, and soon after was led into ministry, as you may remember if you saw the program on Monday night. He attended the South Sunset Bible Institute and served on the foreign mission fields of Ecuador and Mexico City for a combined time of three years. So Eben has been out there proclaiming the gospel, fighting the battles of a missionary, and uh, that's a fascinating part of his story you might bring out even in our discussion today. Upon returning from Mexico City, he attended and graduated from Lubbock Christian University, receiving a B.S. in Bible and Ministry. He would later return to LCU and receive his MS in the same field. Eben has worked in Church of Christ ministry, foreign and domestic, for 13 years before he was received into the Catholic Church in 2009. Eben and his wife Jennifer live in Lubbock, Texas, where Jennifer is a PhD candidate, and Eben owns a lawn service. Uh, and I want to encourage you who are listening, if you'd like to contact Eben, you can do it anytime at Eben Emerson at gmail.com. That's E-B-E-N Emerson, one word, Eben Emerson at gmail.com. You can contact him for speaking engagements and, and also find out about his journey. And also, he has a podcast called The Practical Catholic. It's on iTunes, so you may check that out. We'll probably talk about that in a moment. What I normally do on this program is I invite the guests to choose a verse they never saw a particular scripture passage that op- that maybe they weren't aware of before or maybe they glanced over far too many times, but when they realized what the verse said, it awakened them to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and his church. And we asked Eben to pick one, and he picked one that's it's great that's one that we've never chosen here for the Deep in Scripture program. He has chosen 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. And I'm going to read those to you, but before I do, just to remind you that this program is connected to a website. If you go to chnetwork.org, O-R-G, that's the Coming Home Network website, the first thing you'll see with all the other stuff on the webpage is a link to Deep in Scripture Live. If you click on that, you'll find all the archived programs And you can watch the program live right now uh, and listen to our guest as well as uh, find all the archived programs. So you can also see today's text if you'd like to read along as I read it to you now. And then after break, Eben will join us. So our text for today is 2 Corinthians 1, chapter 11, 1 through 15. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. And of course, this is Paul writing. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to Christ to present you as a pure bride to her one husband. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached, Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you submit to it readily enough. I think that I am not in the least inferior to these superlative apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not in knowledge. In every way we have made this plain to you in all things." Did I commit a sin in abasing myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel without cost to you? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. 
And when I was with you and was in want, I did not burden anyone, for my needs were supplied by the brethren who came from Macedonia. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boast of mine shall not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on The Journey Home. Join Marcus as he heads a special roundtable discussion on Sola Scriptura. Listen to the testimonies of those who discovered the errors in this teaching as they made their journey home to the Catholic Church. That's on the next Journey Home, only on EWTN. The Journey Home is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Gerdai's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodite's book, Journeys Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I am joined today by Eben Emerson. Hello, Eben. Hello, Marcus. How are you? Well, great. And it's, it's great to have you back uh, in front of the microphone. I thoroughly enjoyed having the interview with you on the Journey Home program. And uh, I remember when one of the first things we both agreed when we were done with the program is that it went so fast. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of other things you want to talk about. We'll have to have you back on the Journey Home, but maybe this episode with the Deep in Scripture will give you a little more of a window to talk about a few things. Um, and so thanks for coming back. Before we get into the scripture, though, I did want to invite you to talk a little bit about your podcast. Okay. Well, I have a podcast, and it's called The Practical Catholic, and uh, you can listen to it on iTunes uh, if you go to the podcast and then search for The Practical Catholic, or you can uh, just look it up on, online at ebonemerson.podbean.com. Uh-huh. And what we do with the Practical Catholic is I read the daily Mass readings uh, from Monday through Friday, and then I give a brief application. Uh, I do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, First of all, it helps me to stay uh, responsible to getting in the Word daily Mm -hmm. and uh, to being challenged by Scripture, and also prepares me, I think, in a greater way uh, to participate in the Mass on Sundays and uh, during those times during the week which I'm able to go. But one of the main reasons that I've done it is because I hope to train uh, my mind and hopefully uh, those who are listening in how to listen to and read Scripture. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I think sometimes uh, Scripture is seen uh, as a very distant relative uh, to the faithful uh, Catholic or Christian, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that it's somebody that we know is there and we know is very important, uh, but we don't know very intimately. And I think that a lot of that ambiguity comes because we're intimidated uh, by reading it. I, I remember talking to a lady uh, several years ago uh, who was coming out of the out of the Catholic faith, actually into the Church of Christ. Uh, I converted her, 
And I remember asking her if she uh, read the Bible. And, uh, she said that she did not. When I asked her why, uh, she said it didn't make any sense to her. <laughs> and, and I don't think that that's, uh, I, I don't think that the Catholic Church or any church has a monopoly uh, on, on a misunderstanding of Scripture. Um, I think that uh, Christians uh, in all uh, denominations, Protestant or Catholic, I think that some of us struggle with, you know, what, what does this say to me? Uh, how, how do I live this text? Uh, the practical Catholic uh, reads the text and then tries to make a, a brief, uh, very practical application, uh, simply pulling from the Scripture and showing how uh, the three or four texts, uh, depending, uh, apply to our life. How do we, how do we live Christ-centered, uh, biblical lives as, as faithful Catholics? Um, hoping that uh, the, the people that are listening to them will know what readings went up to mm-hmm. uh, Sunday's Mass, and that they're able to have a greater participation and a greater appreciation for what's going on. And then also, uh, ideally, being able to read Scripture themselves and say, ah, well, this Jesus is wanting me to do this, or <laughs> God is calling me to appreciate him for this. Uh, and that's, that's what it is. It's, it's not very deep. Uh, it's not a uh, it's not a theological exposition. Uh, it is simply looking at the text and how they apply to our lives. I, I'll say this real quickly before I uh, go on, but it it's it's still in its infancy. Uh, it's only been going for about a month now, and I'll, I'll say this <laughs> I say this a couple of times in the podcast. And I'll say it up front now. I'm not as comfortable talking into a little bitty digital recorder <laughs> as I am talking face to face with people. Mm-hmm. So if you hear the the the, the hesitance and the in the podcast, just bear with me. It's it's getting better. Uh, people tell me that as I become more comfortable, it it sounds a little more fluid. But uh, sometimes I'm I'm a little nervous. I, I don't know. It, it just seems like the, the little silver recorder uh, is the recorder I use. It's more uh, daunting sometimes in a big crowd of people. So oh, anyway, but that's that's what it is. Boy, I can relate to that very much. So and yeah, uh, I mean it's gotten a long time to get used to the cameras and the and the microphones rather than looking at real people. You know, Absolutely. one thing I I wonder if this was true for you um, mm-hmm. in your journey is uh, and just to remind the audience if you go to the chnetwork.org and then deep in scripture if you go to the deep scripture website there's a direct link uh, posted for the practical Catholic so it, it's there if you want to find it but the from the beginning, if you take the time to look historically through the early church fathers and the teachings of the church for 2,000 years, that understanding the Catholic faith has always been built on a three-leg stool. Sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and then the teaching authority of the church. That's how we understand what's true. And so when I myself discovered the church and discovered that that's what the church teaches at at first i reacted to that because i was a sola scriptura person that believed in a one-legged stool scripture not tradition and not no magisterium it was private interpretation until i started examining my own protestant ministry and realized no wait a second i did base my understanding on a three-legged stool. It's just that I had replaced Catholic sacred tradition with a different tradition, and I had a different magisterium that was often just me. Right. Did you see that in your own journey? Well, probably not to the extent that that you may have. Um, Some people may not know this, but churches of Christ are autonomously governed. And so even though, um, well, I do think that I probably had the three-legged stool. Yep. I don't know that I had the humility to admit it. Um, well, it took me a long time. I certainly so I... <laughs> believed in a one-legged stool, which was Scripture. Yep. And I think that the the, the difference was that the tradition uh, that we were trying to uh, be faithful to was probably um, regionally based, hmm. uh, meaning that whatever uh, that certain that certain area... Uh, I was in West Texas the last time that I was uh, with the congregation. Uh, whatever that area believes Christianity should represent is what we tried to make it represent. So we almost tried to force uh, Scripture and force our authority uh, into a tradition and a mold 
uh, that it may not have fit in. Uh, and so, but you, say, you, go ahead. you had a, a, a recognized tradition, because I think in the Disciples of Christ, Church of Christ, that you had a, a rule or something, right? That you, wasn't there a specific measure on how to interpret Scripture? Well, that's that's up for debate. Okay. Uh, a right. lot of people who are probably uh, among more uh, conservative or orthodox, uh, if they even want to be called that, uh, churches of Christ and, and Christian churches, uh, and some even conservative disciples of Christ, the mantra was that we would speak where the Bible spoke, and we were silent where the Bible was silent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that we were taught in hermeneutics classes. Uh, that's something that was has been drilled into uh, many uh, Church of Christ minds, uh, that you take Scripture for face value, and if Scripture doesn't mention it, then you simply don't worry about it. Uh, for example, uh, Churches of Christ are famously... Uh, acapella. We don't have oh, instruments. Right. And the reason is, is because of that hermeneutic. Uh, the New Testament, since we are New Testament Christians, uh, doesn't tell us that we can use mm-hmm. instruments. Uh, we simply omit them, and we apply that principle that we speak where the Bible speaks, and we're silent where the Bible is silent. Uh, now, the disciples of Christ, they may have a, a rule or a standard that they use, um, but they're, even though they came out of the same uh, Reformation movement, uh, restoration movement, uh, they are probably on the other end of the spectrum uh, from the Churches of Christ as far as okay. uh, how they look at Scripture. All right. But now you would have had also a magisterium that you would have, as a local pastor, been to a certain extent responsible for, for certain areas of interpretation? Well, as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, we're autonomously governed. Right. And so what we had... Um, in, in many churches of Christ, is they have a body of elders, and these elders, um, in in the most ideal sense, uh, act as shepherds for that church, and they are the ultimate authority uh, on earth for that church. Um, you know, if if the preacher uh, needed to do something uh, that would benefit the congregation, uh, they would hopefully guide him in that. Uh, if the decision had to be made for the church uh, in respects to uh, teaching or morals, uh, very similar to a magisterium, mm-hmm. uh, they would be the ultimate authority for that local church. And I was thinking, uh, like, as a as a denomination, you had a specific tradition on the meaning of baptism, for example. Yes. Yeah. But the but how you would do baptism, um, whether you baptize children or adults or with water or immersed or everything. Um, whether that was a part of the tradition or whether the leaders of the church decided that there was a uniform way of doing it. Did you have that uniformity? Well, we did have uniformity uh-huh. and um, among most churches of Christ. I, I'm sure there may have been some exceptions, but we, as far as the issue of baptism, uh, we baptized uh, adults uh, who were of consenting age, ready to repent. Uh, we had a five-stage uh, plan of salvation, which was hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Um, how that was implemented in the local congregation um, was usually universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between any church. Now, I, I don't know that, I don't know if I can look back far enough to remember, or if, or if uh, I, just, I just can't think that well. I don't know that there was necessarily a mandate from the from the local authority uh-huh. um, to do it a certain way. It was just the accepted way that we did it because sure. that was how it was taught in Scripture. Okay. So. All right. Because I, 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 all that I'm getting at in here is is even for our audience in case in case we have a non-Catholic listening and hasn't really thought about it, but to take a step mm-hmm. back and recognize that that every Christian to a certain extent operates on a some three-legged stool. Oh, absolutely. There's scripture, and then there's a tradition, whether they recognize it or not, and then there are particular authorities, whether it's an individual or a group. I remember one time when I was on a radio talking about the the, the whole theology of once saved, always saved, and I happened to be critical of Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. And there's no Protestant preacher that I have a higher 
regard for than than Billy Graham. Uh, but I happened to make the mistake of saying that on on the area of once saved always saved, I thought Billy Graham was wrong, sure. and the phones started ringing off the hooks. Uh, that the audacity to challenge the infallibility of Billy Graham. And and the point was that for many people, Billy Graham is the magisterium. Right. And uh, there are certain leaders in the Church of Christ or in the Baptist Church or in the Methodist Church that the, there's the three-legged stool. And, uh, you know, but is there, are the legs of your stool the, the ones that Christ established, which in some ways is connected with the Scripture you chose? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And to, for, talk a bit about, in general, why this particular passage, Evan? Okay, well, whenever uh, uh, the idea was brought up of doing this program, uh, it, was, it was brought up as a way uh, to explore a scripture mm-hmm. uh, that we may not have seen before. And, of course, I think uh, uh, many people have probably read through Second Corinthians before, but chapter 11 stuck out to me uh, probably for the first time uh, in, my, in my Christian life. Uh, recently, because I see uh, the Apostles' mission with the Church, I see the Church's responsibility to the Apostle, uh, and then I see uh, our personal responsibility to that uh, to that greater authority, uh, explained from about verse 7 and following. Mm-hmm. And, it, and as a Catholic Christian, uh, it gave me a greater appreciation for the work of the Magisterium, uh, for the work of the local bishops, uh, for the work of uh, our Holy Father, but it also gave me an appreciation for their true desire for us, uh, which I think you see that in verse 3, which is that the Apostle was worried that the followers there in Corinth were being led away from what he hoped would be for them a very sincere and a very pure faith, just like Eve initially had. And I, another reason it stuck out to me was the, the parallel that Paul draws, uh, again in verse 3, about how the church could be pulled away from Christ, just like Eve was uh, uh, from God. And that was uh, through, of course, manipulation of words uh, uh, and through Satan's uh, own uh, cunning ability to, to, to fool us. Um, uh, I like that. That's, that's one of the main reasons I chose the text. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a break. Okay. And when we come back, Eben, we'll jump right into it. And maybe right. the first thing that that is often um, confusing about this part of Scripture is um, Paul speaking in foolishness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. his boasting. Uh, what's going on here? Let's talk about that when we get back. What 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 tactic was Paul using to try try and awaken his audience to what was true? Let's look okay. at that when we come back. All right. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Eben Emerson, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you, too, will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by uh, Eben Emerson, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Verses 1 through 15, and uh, we may not get all th- through them all, Eben, and, uh, uh, but, you know, we'll do it the next time I have you back. But uh, okay. let's, uh, I think it's good to, to take a step back and look at, first of all, Paul's, 
He begins by saying, wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. What's going on here with this foolishness that Paul's using? Well, I, I, two things. I think I don't, I don't think we'll get through the 15 verses. And also, to understand why Paul is using foolishness again, uh, you have to go back to 1 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you remember in the, in the first letter that he wrote to the, to the Corinthian church, uh, in chapter 1, verses 18 and following, when he speaks of the gospel... He speaks of the gospel being foolishness, uh, foolishness to those who are perishing, and uh, uh, unfoolishness or, or wisdom to those who are being saved. It seems as if he's using a literary device uh, in that text and in this one, in talking about them bearing with his foolishness, to point back to the sufficiency and the power actually resting in the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, in the message. Uh, you know, Corinth uh, honored uh, rhetoric, uh, they honored uh, knowledge. Uh, they were a very learned people, maybe uh, one of the more educated churches uh, that Paul had ministered to. And even though Paul was, he was a very educated man, uh, he was very knowledgeable uh, in in the Scriptures uh, and uh, in, in, in some of their philosophy that they would have known. Um, he still wants the emphasis to be placed back on the Gospel and back on the sufficiency of the Gospel. Uh, if you remember going back to First Corinthians again and other letters of his, he, he would tell them that he didn't come to them with eloquence of speech uh, or with superior power or superior preaching. And the reason that he did that was so that they would have their focus back on uh, on the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and here what he's doing, uh, coming back to Second Corinthians 11, is he's asking them to bear with him uh, just one more time. You know, just, just if you'll bear with me just a little bit more in my foolishness, and then he again re-emphasizes the sufficiency of the message, uh, the true intent of the gospel, which is a relationship uh, with his people. And uh, if you look at verse 2, if I can just go ahead and jump through this. Yes, please. Uh, if you look at verse 2, he says, I, I feel a divine jealousy uh, for you, for I betrothed you to Christ, uh, to present you as one bride to her. Now, that sounds uh, a lot like Israel uh, and God underneath the Old Covenant, and it sounds a whole lot like uh, Jesus Christ and the Church. So, in Paul's mentioning uh, the foolishness of what he was saying, uh, the apparent uh, foolishness of his of his message, the entire purpose of this was so that he could present a people as a pure bride to Jesus Christ, uh, and that was his Church. Mm-hmm. And so the emphasis didn't rest on the apostles; uh, the emphasis rested on Christ. And, and whenever you had asked why I chose this text. And I had said that uh, one of the reasons was is because you see the apostles or even the current uh, authorities' uh, true uh, mission for the church. It is in the exercise of their authority uh, that, as a individual and as a church, that we would become a better bride uh, for Jesus Christ. And then, in, of course, Paul, being the the amazing writer that he is, uh, he talks about his foolishness, and then he goes on to show how. Uh, amazingly wise he is, he jumps immediately to verse 3, where he starts talking about Eve. Mm-hmm. So you see the image of the pure gospel, uh, it's not, it doesn't rest on the power of men, even Paul's preaching, and then you see a church that he wants to present to Christ as a bride, and then he brings our mind immediately back to Eve. And what did Eve have? Well, Eve had the relationship that all of us want uh, with God. Uh, she had a sincere and a pure uh, relationship with God. Uh, she was totally uh, available to his will, which also sounds, and of course uh, is foreshadowing, uh, our Blessed Mother. Uh, so you see uh, mirrored in Eve before the fall, and then married in our ble- and mirrored, rather, uh, in our Blessed Mother, uh, the, the, the ultimate um, destination or the ultimate goal of the Christian in the Church, which is to be and become this pure uh, sacrifice this pure bride uh, that gives himself, that gives themselves uh, to the Father in complete uh, surrender and in complete obedience. And you know, I'm reminded of, uh, which is something that I've emphasized often on Deep in Scripture, and that is that, you know, again, talking about the three-legged stool, that whenever we look at a passage and interpret it, we've got to make sure that it's always seen in the entire context. Absolutely. Of not just the paragraph or not just the book and not just the right. New Testament and not just the Bible, but in the entire sacred tradition and in the teaching of the church. And what yeah. what this reminds me of, 
of Eben is looking to another letter of Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, mm-hmm. when Paul says, this is a great mystery, and I take it to mean Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the right. wife see. But it gets back to, and let me read this, and then you go ahead and comment on it. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, and having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's that holy bride. That's right, and and that holy bride, uh, in the context of Paul's letter that you just read, is betrothed to a husband who has a responsibility mm-hmm. to present that bride uh, before God. You know, I, I, I am married, uh, and I'm happily married, and I used to just like to get, from the text that you just read, I used to like to stop at verse 24, uh, <laughs> where the wife was to be submissive to the husband, and I, you know, I'd stick my chest out and... Uh, <laughs> you know, kind of pump my fist in the air as if, you know, I, I was the man of this house. But the reality is, is that Jesus doesn't deal with us that way, yeah. and neither does his church. Yeah. And it is his job and the apostle's job, as well as our individual responsibilities as husbands, to prepare and present this bride uh, before the Father uh, as an eternal uh, object of worship, and also as an object of worship here uh, on this earth. Um, the, the responsibility that Paul has I think you may have been pointing back to what uh, uh-huh. Paul was saying here in Second Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Um, the ultimate responsibility of of the apostles, um, primarily Paul here with with Corinth, is to do what he was telling the husbands to do for their wives in Ephesians. Yep, yep. Which is to prepare a pure bride. And who does the responsibility really lay with? It lays with the apostles. Now, who reaps the benefit of it? The bride. And the same relationship happens with us and our authorities and Jesus Christ. The responsibility, the greater responsibility, uh, rather, is on their shoulders. They have this humongous responsibility of preparing a people. And when we're obedient to that, what do we get? We actually get the greater reward, um, or a great reward, uh, rather. Uh, don't know if it's greater, but we get a great reward. Um, and, and Paul going back here again to 2 Corinthians 11, mm-hmm. he's trying to put the brakes uh, on anything that may dissuade them away from becoming this bride and falling into the exact same trap as Eve did, uh, which is listening to something that ran contrary to what God's initial intent was for him, because he says here in verse 4, for if someone uh, comes and preaches another Jesus than the one we preached, or another spirit, or if you accept another gospel, uh, you listen to it uh, readily enough. And he's trying to put the brakes on anything that may stop them uh, from becoming uh, or falling into the same trap that Eve did. You know, I'm curious, uh, Evan, back when you were a Church of Christ minister, Mm -hmm. if you had dealt with verse 4 here, what you just read, would well, you have identified what Paul was saying with your Church of Christ gospel? Yes, I did. And in fact, one of the um, one of the best proof texts that would uh, be a corollary to this one uh, would go back to Galatians uh, chapter one uh, and verses six. I believe it's sixteen and following, maybe ten and following. Uh, whenever Jesus says that if anybody comes to you and preaches a gospel other than the one that you heard, let him be. Uh, eternally accursed. Mm-hmm. And what we would say out of 2 Corinthians 11.4 and Galatians chapter 1 is that, hey, listen, no one needs to say anything other than what I'm saying. <laughs> the irony is, is that a lot of other fundamentalist churches were saying the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, no other gospel than the one that we present is the pure gospel, and here we are five blocks down the road saying, no, 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 wait a minute, the only true gospel is the one that we're proclaiming. Um, which is different than the one down the road. <laughs> yeah. And even though we were standing on a three-legged stool, as you mentioned just a minute ago, yeah. uh, the tradition and authority legs of that stool uh, were based upon personal interpretation. And so they were pretty flimsy legs. Um, yeah. And it seemed as if all of us were very sure that the, the primary leg that we had, uh, that we claimed to have, which was Scripture, uh, really built the other two legs. 
uh, when in reality that may or may not have been the case. So. You know, this verse, mm-hmm. I think, becomes a really scary verse when you become more awakened to history, theology, philosophy. Oh, yeah. Because how do you know that mm-hmm. what you were preaching from that pulpit has any connection to what's true? Right. Well, how you know, um, <laughs> and I don't know that anybody, any of us will ever be able to answer that um, conclusively, because I think that part of the journey of being a faithful Catholic yeah. uh, is in continually uh, being renewed in our mind by looking at what the Church teaches and mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. Now, as a Protestant, I think that it's a wonderful journey to begin, because we can step back uh, as Protestants and, and look at Scripture and say, hey, okay, where does this come from? Okay, why does my church, my, why does my church teach uh, said doctrine? And in that exploration, in that honest exploration, uh, what I saw in my own personal journey was, was that a lot of it was anti-Catholic rhetoric, and that if I traced it way, 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 way back, I got back to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And there was some ultimate authority that rested not only with the Scripture that I was reading, but with the tradition that it came from. So verse 4, for, for those of you who are listening uh, who are Protestant, you know, you may use this as, as a reflective verse over the next couple of days and just you know, ask yourself and meditate and pray, uh, why do we say what we do? Yeah. Where does it come from? And uh, when I did that, I know that uh, <laughs> God answered me in a way I wasn't ready for, uh, but he was faithful to answer me nonetheless, and uh, he showed me the beauty of the, of the Catholic Church. So, Yeah, if you connect, Gary, if you connect yeah. verse 4, mm-hmm. and, and like you said, to reflect, mm-hmm. and you connect it later with verse 13 and 14, mm-hmm. you know, where it says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful mm-hmm. workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, disguising themselves. As apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not strange if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Mm-hmm. You know, Evan, how can you be certain that you're not doing back in verse four, following the wrong spirit? Yeah, uh, that's that's an excellent question, and. Uh... I think that if you look at the very end of this text, and you also remember the words of Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, whenever he says that their end will correspond to their deeds, and then Jesus' words, that by their fruits you will know them, on the, on the offset, at the very beginning, yeah. uh, the way that we can recognize, uh, <laughs> and this is improper grammar, but the goodness of a tree <laughs> uh, is what kind of fruit it's producing. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that there haven't been many wonderful things uh, that have come out of the greater Christian community. Uh, but we have to look at, okay, why was uh, said doctrine began? Uh, why did um, said church start? Uh, was, it, was it out of uh, a, a pure search, or was it possibly reactionary? Um, you know, I think that the responsibility and... Uh, the intimidating task uh, for both Protestant and Catholic Christians uh, is to live their lives looking at what it is that we're saying, what it is that we're teaching, and why. And fortunately, as a Catholic, we can trace it back to the rock, which is Peter, back to the beginning of of Pentecost, and we see a lineage that started uh, from when the Church was birthed uh, there in Acts chapter 2. And we can follow that throughout history. And though not perfect, we do have something that we can trace it back to. I also think that it's interesting, uh, whenever you brought up verses 13 and 14, mm-hmm. uh, if you look at verse 14 again, he says, And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It seems like the real pivot here is uh, Eve or an or the early Christians here, the Corinthians, being led away from a church that was predominantly governed by and taught by the apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, their authority rested in the apostles because that was the true gospel that Paul didn't want them to get away from, and it was also the gospel that they were preaching against, these false teachers were preaching against. Remember over in Philippians, uh, whenever Paul was dealing with the uh, uh, 
some of the early influences in, in Christianity. Evidently, uh, history tells us anyway that when he was sick, uh, that people were going out and saying that uh, in the name of Paul and, and beginning their own churches. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, Christ is being preached out of impure pretense. And he said, what's important to me is that is that Christ is preached. Mm-hmm. What I think Paul was calling the Philippians and the Corinthians and, and, and all of the Christian community there, uh, all the churches, was to get back to a true, sincere, pure gospel that was based on the authority of the teaching arm of the church, which was the apostles. Mm-hmm. I think the same is for us today. Mm-hmm. You'd asked a minute ago, how do we know? Well, I think that the, the litmus test that Paul's asking them to take of their own character in churches is whether or not their church is governed by the apostles and pointed toward the pure, uh, sincere, and simple gospel, are our churches doing the same thing? Uh, and, and, is the church that you're a part of, uh, speaking to someone who may be listening, is your church governed by um, apostolic authority? Uh, does it have an authority that can trace itself uh, back to Paul? Uh, and, and and again, for the for the for the simple intent uh, of bringing someone into a pure uh, relationship with Jesus. And, and there are a lot of churches today many who call themselves Acts chapter 2 churches or whatever. In other words, they mm-hmm. believe that they're apostolic churches, Yeah. but they're really trying to build that idea on a one-legged stool. Absolutely. Ignoring 2,000 years of history. Yeah. But it's interesting that the very thing you just said, in other words, uh, does the what they believe come from an apostle, that was the very words used by the early church, the early church writers, when they were dealing with the rise of heresies. Absolutely. Asking, you know, Tertullian, they're asking, mm-hmm. did this come from an apostolic church? Yeah. Let's take another break, Eben. Let's come back. Okay. Uh, as you said, there's a lot in this passage, but I want you to kick us off when we come back on uh, at least one other thing you want to cover in these passages, all right? Okay. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Eben Emerson, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to uh, Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Eben Emerson. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I do want to remind the audience of your podcast, The Practical Catholic, which has a direct link from the uh, Deep in Scripture website. What else would you like to cover in the time we have uh, remaining, Eben? Well, uh, just two really quick things, and, sure. and again, this time, just like when I was there, it's kind of flown by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to kind of recap what, what I've been trying to say, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't have notes or anything in front of me, so I, don't, I, had, I didn't have a planned flow, but I think we've looked at two things so far, primarily responsibility. Mm-hmm. The responsibility of the apostles, which was similar to uh, the husband's responsibility to the bride that we saw in Ephesians 5 when you read that text. Mm-hmm. It was his responsibility, Paul's responsibility, to present the church to Jesus as a bride, it was also the apostles' responsibility. It was their responsibility uh, to follow his teaching. Uh, so, the responsibility is one and the same. The responsibility of the of the apostle was to present uh, the church there at Corinth to Jesus, and the responsibility of the church there was to listen and follow Paul. Now, I wanted to mention just for just real quickly, uh, if you look in verses uh, eight and following. Uh, he says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you, I was not in want. Uh, all of my needs uh, were met uh, by the brethren. But even though the apostles have a great responsibility, and we have a responsibility to follow them and be 
a part of the True Apostolic Church uh, in, in hopes of having a, a sincere relationship with Jesus. We're also responsible to be faithful uh, to the work of the apostles. Uh, we're, fa- we're responsible to be uh, financially and spiritually supporting of uh, the work of the Church. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see here, he was being supported kind of as a, on missionary status, uh, if you will, from another church to go and take the gospel to them. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, they weren't supporting his getting there, but we see that after he got there, they took care of him. Uh, you know, I spoke a couple of weeks ago at our parish uh, about uh, the tithe and about giving. Uh, I'm not trying to, to, strain a, to strain a gnat and swallow a camel from this text, <laughs> but I do think that it, it goes without saying that uh, the Church has a great responsibility not only to fidelity to the Apostles' teaching, but also to support what the Apostles are doing. And in doing so, uh, our, our heart will follow. Uh, our heart follows, as Jesus says, where our money is, our treasure is, treasure is our, our heart is. Our heart will fall more in love with the work that the Church is doing. Um, I don't think it's any small thing that he mentions that here. Well, and uh, I, I'm just going to add into that. He, he begins in verse 8, and remember, he's doing some foolishness here. Right. And he says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order yeah. to serve you. Right. And I mean, is it, isn't he subtly implying here that these people there at Corinth do not appreciate what they're getting? I, I think that that's exactly uh uh, what he's trying to say, and on a on a practical note, just uh, I, I guess uh, going back to what I was saying, yeah. uh, do we appreciate what's going on in our parishes? Uh, and if if you're Protestant, do you appreciate yeah. uh, what's going on in your church? And uh, how do we show that? Uh, we show it by participation and by payments. That um, I say that because it's two P's that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how they supported it. They supported it with their fidelity, and they also supported it with their finances. And I think that we're to do the same. Well, in all the letters of Paul, most of them would say they were trying to raise money to help the struggling churches in Jerusalem. Absolutely. Because it was all one body. Absolutely. Not individual churches. And I do believe most of us in America in the Catholic Church are unaware of the fact that one of the reasons I believe that we have a problem with raising funds mm-hmm. on the local level is because in to some extent 200 years ago we got off on the wrong foot in America because in the early missions of the Catholic Church in America and I mean the Jesuit missions mm-hmm. the Jesuit missions were self-supporting mm-hmm. and the local Catholics were so poor they gave very little from the very beginning we became accustomed to the church taking care of itself Right. And I've read letters in Kentucky and Tennessee and the early Catholic missions when they moved out there. It was really hard to get the laity to give money to support their missionary priests because they yeah. were so accustomed to not having to give money. Right. We're still suffering 200 years later. Yeah, some, some, or unfortunately, some of those things haven't changed at all. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't want to divert from the, from the principal text here. Yeah, um, right. But I will say this. I, I think that we have... Uh, a crisis of idolatry uh, when it comes to money. Mm-hmm. As a Protestant, I used to point my finger at Catholics uh, in disdain for their, what I thought was, uh, worship of, uh, of inanimate ob- objects. Uh, when I realized that probably the greatest idolatry in modern Christian America, or in the Christian, uh, mm-hmm. in, in Christendom, uh, is the idolatry that deals with money. You know, Paul said that greed is idolatry. Yeah. And, and I wonder if we take those words seriously. Certainly Paul... Uh, and uh, the, the churches in Achaia uh, took it seriously. Mm-hmm. And in fact, going along that line, uh, if you read what some, some people call the Macedonian correspondence, uh, letters to the Thessalonians, uh, that was a very poor region. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very poor people. And in fact, they were supported by other churches to take the gospel uh, to them. And there was no such thing as rugged individualism in Christianity, or rugged individualism in the Church. Autonomy as a Christian or autonomy in the Church uh, has never been the biblical standard. Uh, It's the Our Father, it's not the My Father, and Mm -hmm. it was uh, the entire body of Christ, uh, not just one uh, individual 
uh, interpreting scripture for himself, having his own personal relationship with Jesus. You know, I like the Doobie Brothers, and, and I like that song, Jesus is Just All Right With Me, but <laughs> I'm scared that we have taken that as um, as maybe our theology. And yeah. this, this yeah. uh, particularly in America, this, that's running rampant. It, it really is. Yeah. And, and I think that in, in the Catholic Church, what we have to remember to do is to continually expose uh, to Catholics and Protestants the beauty of being unified and the beauty of being a bride that is being prepared by the apostles so that we can be presented to God. Mm-hmm. And come back to texts like this one in Second Corinthians, uh, where we see the apostles working among the entire church to present the entire church to Jesus, and and share in that um, with our brothers and sisters in our local parishes, and and share that journey. That yes, we're going through individually, but that collectively uh, we have a guide, which is the church, uh, the tradition, the authority, the scripture. But we also have the encouragement of other people in that. And one of the things that I've noticed. Uh, since be- since becoming Catholic, that seems to lack in some parishes uh, is a sense of community mm-hmm. um, and a sense of belonging uh, that sometimes I miss, um, honestly. Evan, you mentioned this issue of community, and I will say to some extent, part of the reason we lack community in that that closeness in our local parishes is because sometimes they're so huge. But I, I want to draw attention to, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about those three most essential qualities of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And of those three, fasting is the one that's for ourselves to discipline our will, but the others are for the community, prayer and then almsgiving. Yeah, and I would hope that we would we would remember that text and also text like the one we've been looking at today and be involved in uh, the greater part of salvation, getting involved in uh, what Jesus is doing in our lives and what Jesus is doing in the lives of our brothers and sisters in our local parish and and share that journey. Even though it's a communal journey, uh, we can share it individually and be encouraged by things like prayer and almsgiving Mm -hmm. and even fasting. That's right. We can support one another. Eben, the time flies. Uh, Sure does. Thank you so much. I hope this was a a joy for you because I really appreciate your words. You bet, and I appreciate you having me. Again, everybody, that's Practical Catholic on iTunes if you want to be connected with Eben, we, we do challenge you to reflect on the verses that we've talked about and see our need for reaching out to one another and trusting the authority of the church. So God bless you all. Thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture. Be with you again soon.